Welcome to Master Mindset. Reframe your thinking, master your mindset with Nate Schooler and Kim Adele. Kim Adele is tied up today, but we have a very interesting episode from the archives for you. With Jeff Tippett, and he is an international speaker, best-selling author, and a podcast host. He's the founder of Targeted Persuasion, an award-winning public affairs and communications firm. And he, he tells me about his story, and it's really inspiring. You should, uh, you should enjoy this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey there, Jeff. It's really great to see you. Nate, thanks for uh, sharing this time with me. I look forward to our discussion. Me too. Me too. So we're going to talk about persuasive communication. As I know, that is your sweet spot, right? That's it. That's where I have um, built my career and, and staked out my ground is persuasive communication. Fantastic. Fantastic. So where does it, where does it start? Where do we begin? Well, uh, a quick story to, to kick you off from my own personal journey here. Um, my father went to Haiti uh, to do some humanitarian relief. And while there, um, he built a really good relationship with his interpreter, who happened to be a ninth grader in an American school. And as a student, she became pregnant. And the school gave her a choice. They said, give up your baby or drop out of school. Well, Nate, I don't even know how a person faces a decision like that. So after you know, much consideration, talking with her family, I'm, I'm sure many tears shed as well. Um, she made the gut-wrenching decision that the best thing for her baby was to, to land a new home, and the best thing for her was to finish her education. So I began this journey of going back and forth to Haiti, working through the process of adopting a baby. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I found the Haitian people to be amazing. They, they had such a zeal for life. They were such happy people. Um, they were carefree. And the way that they value their families and intergenerational relationships within families, I just found to be amazing. Now, for me, when I landed there on my first trip, it happened to be during a time when President Aristide was being run out of, out of office. So wow. you had detractors and supporters that were clashing. I mean, I ended up landing in the middle of a civil war. It was the first time in my life to look up and see a gun pointed in my direction. It was the first time to have a machete in the vicinity of my neck. At one point, I was in the capital city doing documents with government officials, and I looked up, I heard noise, I looked up toward the university, and you've seen like the images of a, a tsunami coming through, like the, the band of water. It was that, but it was people, it was students. There were riots, there were uh, burning tires, they were firing guns randomly, they were yelling, they were screaming. I ended up jumping into the back of a pickup truck to flee the city for my own safety. Wow, wow, and that's where your journey began. It, it did. And, and my aha moment, the, this, this, this thing that really began to change my life, was I reached a point here because of all that was going on in the country. Um, my Haitian attorney one day sent me an email and said, Jeff, the offices are closed down. So at best, you need to consider your adoption on a long term hold. But at worst, Jeff, you may need to accept that your adoption is over. Well, here's the thing, Nate. At this point, I had been over there probably four times already. So my heart had changed. Like, this was no longer about adopting a baby from the country of Haiti. This now became about bringing my daughter home and getting my daughter here. So when I received the email, as you can imagine, I was so 
distraught that evening um, going to bed. I questioned myself, and did I really have this calling to bring her here? I questioned, like, what have I done to this mother um, who's given up her child? What have I done to this baby? All of these doubts were all inside of my head. But the next morning, I woke up with a plan, and here's what I decided to do. I was going to fly to Haiti, and every day I was going to walk to the office that I needed to sign this final Haitian document, just hoping, you know, fingers crossed that someone could, would pop in for some reason that could sign this document. So every morning for two weeks, I woke up, like I'm optimistic, like this is the day, like today is going to happen, only to walk back at the end of the day, totally disappointed that no one showed up wow. until finally one day a person showed up. For a little context, here I am. I'm in Haiti. I'm not around very many English-speaking people, right? And you know I speak for a living. So there was a lot of words in me, and I'd already told you. Like we had, I had all these emotions going on, all these things happening there emotionally for me. So when I finally got to this Haitian official, I, I looked at him, and I threw my translator. I said something kind of like this. I need you to sign my document. I need you to sign this document now. I need to get my daughter to the United States, and you're going to sign this now for me thinking he would sign it. He looked up at me and said, no. Well, I had seconds here. Like everything was hanging in the balance. Like this was my one opportunity face to face with someone. I had to turn this thing around and I had to turn it around quickly. So here's what I did. I drew on the limited knowledge of Haitian culture that I had. And I, I reframed and I said something like this. Most likely, you value family. And through my translator, I see him back, you know, nodding yes. And I said, most likely, you love kids. I get another yes. And then I said, most likely, you think Haitian babies are jewels and they're precious. And at that point, you could see the change in his face. So, Nate, what I did next, I picked up the document and I held it up to him. And I said, this document represents a little baby by the name of Jeannin. Jeannin doesn't have a home. She doesn't have anyone to help cover her expenses. She has no one to provide an education, no one to provide love to her. And you can give her that if you'll just sign this document. Within 10 minutes, the document was signed and I was out the door. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was understanding where they're coming from is understanding exactly the culture that they're coming from that what matters to them the most family etc etc and then exactly but then so, so walking back i started questioning this whole thing like like conversation a didn't work conversation B did work. So what changed? And, and here's the conclusion over time. Again, like this wasn't a voice from heaven that came down and changed me. I didn't all of a sudden become someone different. Like it was just the beginning of understanding. And here's what I began to understand was that conversation A was all about manipulation. Right. Conversation B was about persuasion. So here's how I define manipulation. Manipulation is to call someone to do something or, or a, a situation, but to do it cleverly, to do it unfairly. And at the root of manipulation, we're trying to get people to do something out of our own self-interest. And because we want them to do that, 
Now let's contrast that with persuasion. Persuasion means to call someone to do something through reasoning or sound argument. And the word argument here isn't like us talking about politics or religion and, you know, butting heads. It's really this conversation like you just alluded to of, of listening to the other person, hearing what's important to them. And then especially over time and sustained effort that we provided the reasoning that it takes for the other person. And I, I look for two magical words. If I'm negotiating a contract or, or working with someone else to know if I'm manipulated or I persuaded. And those two words are, that's right. Here's what I mean by that. When I finish up a conversation with a potential client uh, for, for my firm, and they look at me and they say, Jeff, that's right. Your company can fix this problem that we have. Your company can solve this problem. You can fill this gap that we have. At that moment, they, they want it just as much as I want it. Maybe they even want it more than I want it. And at that point, it's about them and what it is that they're after. And at that point, I know that I have persuaded. In fact, I go a step further. I say that persuasion is leadership. Persuasion is seeing a better future, a better outcome for someone else and helping to bring them along in the journey through sound reasoning. Wow. That's, that's, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. So... People listening to this, there are going to be lots of different types of people listening to this. Is it going to kind of, if they study this and learn how to persuade as opposed to kind of bash people into a corner, it's obviously going to help them to improve their lives because it's going to take away the pressure of trying to sell because they're trying to sell something, aren't they? I mean, that's in essence, that's, that's the difference, isn't it? It's like, it's like they've realized that they need it. So they just buy it. They're like, I want this. Like, I, I want this as much as you want to sell it to me. I want to buy it. Right. So does that kind of add up with value? So, so what I mean by that is, do you think is like, they can make, you should make a list of like why you're so amazing or what, what you're going to give them is so amazing. And so in your head, you automatically know what the amazing things are that you're going to do or deliver or whatever. And you might not need to tell them all of those things, but does that give you a sort of larger presence uh, as an example when you're negotiating or persuading, let's say? Absolutely. So my bold statement in my new book that I, that we just released in February, 2019, my bold statement is this, that we all live or die based upon our ability to persuade others. So to me, that doesn't, doesn't matter if you work in the public sector, if you're in the private sector, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an educator, or if you just don't want to live alone for the rest of your life, that we all live or die based upon our ability to persuade others. And I do believe that the, the biggest part of this is what you've just articulated. It's listening to the other person. And so oftentimes, people that are in sales, for example, or people that, um, that may be elected officials, maybe politicians, like what are our typical responses when we sit down with someone, say it is for a sales call. We typically talk about our company. We talk about like how many employees we have, how old we are, how many awards we've won. And I challenge people in this space to turn that around. The people really don't care about you. What they care about is themselves and what's going on at that moment for them. So if you turn this around and not make it about you and what you can do, make it about them and listen to them and understand where their gaps are, 
where their pressure points are. This works in marriages. This works for HR, people that are trying to attract and retain top talent. Start with them. Listen with them first and then begin to share all these wonderful ideas like you were just talking about. Okay. Okay. So in, in business, right? Say, say you're an executive and you, you want to get something done. You want to negotiate a, a, a contract, right? How, how do you, how, would you say it's a good place to begin by having a piece of paper and, and on the left, you write down what they want and on the right, you write down what you want. And then you go from there. I mean, is that a good place to start? Do you think? It, it is a good place, um, especially if you're talking with them and you're listening and you are jotting down notes about what they're saying and where the gaps are and where the, the pressure is, the pain points for them. It shows that you're actively listening to them. So that that is part of it. And you know, one of the things that I talk about uh, in my book is binary versus non-binary options. Sometimes we think that as we're closing these deals, as you just referenced, you know, it's yes or no, black or white, one or two. It's this way or no way. When in reality, if we'd be open a little bit more to expand our minds and to expand possibilities. We can listen to them. We can know what it is that we offer and we can find a unique path forward that maybe we haven't thought of and maybe they haven't even thought of as well. But again, we both walk away feeling like we got what we wanted in that situation. Okay. So, so it's about sort of giving away a certain bit of ground then. Is that kind of fair to say or? It could be. It's at least listening to them and understanding where they are and what they're after and what they're looking for and what problem you can solve for them. We know most of our issues fall into health, wealth, or relationships. One of those three buckets. So as you're listening to the problem and, and you know, we know in business what we're about is we're about fixing problems. We're about bringing solutions to the table. But we can't bring these solutions to the table if we don't fully know what it is that they want solved and what they value and what's important to them. Just like I drew on what I knew from Haitian culture to help me, if you will, to use our, our phrase that we're using here, negotiating, like negotiating with that, uh, that um, government official, like I had to know what was important to him. Now, I had to draw um, on the limited knowledge that I had there because I didn't, I was in a place to like ask all these questions, but that's what worked in that situation. And I think that as we change our mindset and quit making it about us and listen to the other people, change that mindset, it will change our business. Right. So, so it's, it's basically just listening to them, listening to what's really important to them. And then what feeding that back to them with a solution, actually mentioning that that's what they've, what they've sort of said? Yes, if it's part of the listening process, you know, I encourage people to, to listen, to ask open-ended questions instead of like yes or no questions. Mm -hmm. Ask questions that will get them to go a little bit deeper into what's going on and then repeat it back to them. Um, many of us that are in uh, relationships with spouses or whatever, we probably have these situations where we have this come to Jesus meeting, right? And we talk about this big issue in our relationship and we may go running down the path to do something um, to change. Like our spouse wants us to change when our spouse is like, no, that's not what I was saying. That's not what I want you to do. Um, but we haven't asked the questions, right? To understand where they, where they really are. And what I do like through the book and when I'm on stage as well, I, I put everything into three buckets of helping people to go from hello to saying yes. And those three buckets are capture, connect, convince, based on the, the three C's. It begins with capture, connect, 
and then convince. Okay, so capture, right? You're capturing what they want, in other words. That's, that's what you're doing, yeah? Exactly. So, and that also begins with our message. Like, often, especially in business, oftentimes we don't understand our own message. We don't have a clear message about what it is that we do, the problem that we solve. So how do we develop a message there that will capture their attention? That is a very simple message. For example, you know, as, as you know, I speak professionally. And when I'm in situations where people are saying, hey, Jeff, what do you do for a living? I'll say something like this. I speak professionally, and then I stop. And here's the beauty of that, Nate. I haven't gone on for five minutes about what I do. What I've done is I've given them a little bit of content that I hope whets their appetite. So they begin to ask me questions. And, and typically the next thing is, oh, what do you speak about? And I'll say, I speak on persuasive communication. And they'll, a lot of times they'll come back and they'll say, oh, so you teach people how to manipulate for a living. And we can laugh and I can talk a little bit more. But what we're after in our message is, is, is creating, and I, call, I refer to it as an inverted, inverted funnel, where we share little bits of information and we drill further and further down, allowing them to ask us questions and so that they want the information. So that's part of capturing. I think especially for, for people that are in the digital space, people that may be doing things online, uh, we have to make sure that we capture their attention early. We know that most links never get clicked that are shared out there. So we have to figure out how do we stand out? How do we capture their attention? And then the third part of capturing is how do we create a message there that's sticky, that will remain with our audience. What we want is when we leave that meeting or when they finish reading our email or we get off a phone call, one minute later, an hour later, a week later, a month later, we want to stay top of mind to our audience. So that's the three parts for capturing our message, capturing, getting their attention early and making sure that our message remains and stays with them. Okay. It's really solution selling, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, so very closely related, isn't it, to that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And so that's where it all begins. But then the next part of this is, is the connection. And I think this is the secret sauce in persuasive communication is building a connection with our audience. When our audience really likes us and we have that connection, and, and I have three ways that people can use to build that connection. Um, the first one is, we've talked about this a lot already in our conversation, is putting our focus on others and helping them find their win. Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, you'll get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And there is a bond, there's a connection that happens there when we're helping others. And the second part of that is this bond that we can create, how we create an emotional bond with our audience so that they feel like, like we are connected in this. And the third part of our connection is a small word that's huge, and that word is trust. When I finished up my manuscript and gave it to my editor and publisher, they came back and they said, Jeff, you've talked you know, briefly about trust throughout all the chapters, but you've never really hit trust head on. How important is trust? in persuasion. And Nate, my response was, oh my gosh, it's everything. It's the foundation. If we don't have trust with our audience, take every other chapter in my book and run it through a shredder. It doesn't matter any longer if they don't trust us. So in the chapter on trust, I walk through 13 ways that a, that a reader can use to build trust with the audience. So we connect by helping others, creating this emotional bond, and building trust with our audience. That's the second part, connect. What's the number three again? Number three is convince. 
So yeah. when we have, we've developed this message like, that really resonates with our audience, they understand us, it sticks with them, it's, it's, we've captured their attention, and we, we've connected, right? They trust us. We have an emotional bond. They know that we're there to help them. Once we have those two Cs, the capture and connect, then we can move on to the next one, which is convince. So in, when we convince, um, three parts there. First of all, is position. Like, how do we position our ask? so that people say yes. And in this chapter in my book, I walk through three ways you can position your message. I talk about loss aversion versus prospect theory, emotion versus logic. And here's, here's a tip here. Nate. People buy for emotional reasons and they justify for logical reasons. It's not the reverse. So we understand how they decide. And then what we've already referred to earlier, binary versus non-binary options. That's how we position our message. The second part of that is crafting a call to action that users can't resist. So when it comes to that point of, all right, now it's time for the ask. Now it's time to go in and get this thing closed down. Um, I give, give um, about 13 tips there of what you can do to craft the call to action that's going to prompt your user to say yes. And the final part of convincing is setting yourself up as an industry expert. Now, I don't believe in shortcuts. I believe we have to put the work in, but I will tell you this, when it comes to persuasion, you can leap ahead if you are the industry expert in your area. If you are the guru, if you're the go-to person in that space, people are more likely to, to say yes because they trust you because you have built yourself up as this industry expert. You are the guru. They know that you're offering them the right advice. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. But what's what's really interesting is, is that a few years ago, everyone sort of said, you need to write a book, you've got, you've got to write a book, right? But now it's gone a step further. It's like you've, you've really become your own media channel, you know, you've, like, that's why I launched my podcast, one of the reasons, because it's like, people like that time to actually understand if you're the right person because I might not, I might not be everyone's fit, you might not want to work with everyone, I don't want to work with everyone. But I want people who understand how I think, understand, you know, the people I know and this kind of stuff and the connections that I have. And I think that's really important as well. So people are aware of your sort of immediate network, like your close network. And I think the more you talk about how amazing the people are that you spend time with or learn from, the, the, the more likely people are going to buy from you, you know. Absolutely. You have to stake out your ground. You need to know, and you're right, like we build our own media empires today, and social media has really helped us to be able to do that. But we do build our, our, own, our own machine here around our, our networking, our PR, like all of that stuff. We build it, but we have to have a very clear message. We have to, we have to pick a lane. We have to know what it is that we do. And I love what you just said earlier about not being a good fit for every person. That's actually one of the, the, the points that I put in the chapter of trust that most people wouldn't think of saying no helps build trust. People say, oh, they're not going to like me if I say no. Um, it's the opposite. If you come to a situation where you're not going to be a good fit for them or they're not going to be a good fit for you and you're honest with them and you just say, you know what? I'm probably not the person, the best fit for what you're doing here. However, I know someone by the name of Lisa and I think she would be amazing for what it is that you're trying to do. Would it be okay with you if I made a connection to Lisa so you guys can start a conversation and see if she is the right fit for you? Yeah. That that takes our trust through the roof, and they'll better understand us and what we do. And if we are a fit in the future, they will come back to us 
as opposed to trying to do what we're not good at and what we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So sometimes saying no builds trust. I agree. I had a friend that did that. He worked in a specific car garage and someone came in and wanted to buy a car for their business. And he was just like, well, well, I think it was a van actually. Tell a lie. It was a van. And he said, look, this isn't the right place for you to buy a van. You need to go and buy it from a different car showroom up the road because that brand will supply exactly what you want. Because I don't want to shortchange you by selling you something that you don't want, right? So he actually did that. And he got like five or 10 people came in wanting to do business with him just from that one referral, yeah? Because it, honesty, I mean, that's the thing. You've, you've got to want what they want. You've, you've sincerely got to want to make their lives better. The moment that you are using persuasion, because we're using it, right? But the moment you're using it so that you get everything and you don't help them to get what they want is when it all goes wrong. I mean, that's in essence. That's when you're back to manipulation. Right? It, it is manipulation, now, yeah. Now you've gone to manipulation. Yeah. And here's the thing we know. What, what you said is exactly right. Like We know that customer acquisition is one of the top expenses a, a group has. And so w- when we are manipulating, we are not building long-term relationships with people that will continue to do business with us over time. We may twist their arm if we're really good. They may go through one cell, but they're not going to come back to us. They're not going to refer other people to us. But you're exactly right. And that's the message. If people can change their mindset, it's not about you. It's about them and if you keep solving problems for them build that trust for them you'll have a long-term relationship that can be financially beneficial to both of you yeah definitely and don't be afraid to use your content as well i mean in essence in the digital age we're talking really about you know persuasive communication isn't just one-to-one it's one-to-many and it's and it's being sincere you know it's like look i give away all this free content right because i want people to ask me for help with things. I want people to, in essence, enjoy learning, right? And then ask me for help with certain problems they might have because I do various different things. So I'm open. If people want to ask me for help, I'm, I'm there, you know. But it's like, it's so much fun in this digital world because if you're delivering so much great content, right, sooner or later, people feel like they should give you something because they've had so much free stuff from you that's really helped them in their lives that they just come back and say, well, how can I help you, uh, Nate, Jeff? How can, I, how can I help you with what you're doing? You know, That's exactly right. My personal coach, my business coach uh, that I work with, I, I listened to podcasts of hers. I had purchased some books. Um, I had you know, read blogs, like all this free content that she was putting out there. I watched that for months and months and months. And when I was to the point that I was ready to make a decision, you know, I went with her because I felt like she would be the person that I could align with and can help me get to the next level uh, in my life. And she provided so much value out there that I, I, I knew her as well. Like I, I didn't know her, but I kind of knew her just from all that stuff that she was pointing out there. And I knew that I wanted to work with her. So at that point, swipe my credit card. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important to have a coach, no doubt, no doubt about it. So, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) So, with writing emails, yeah, how would you structure a persuasive email? 
great question. Um, and I'll, we just um, recently are, are in the process right now of working on a blog post around this, um, especially as it relates to mass emails. And many of us are sending out you know, big groups of emails. Um, and here's some tips that I think will help your audience in, in writing these emails. The problem here is that oftentimes when we're writing emails, especially mass emails, we are writing to a list of people. And when our audience gets it and they read it, it feels like we are writing to a group of people. Now, the exercise that I encourage people to, to, to go through, and this is probably perfect for your audience, is take a look at your list. Pick out one person on that list that you know. Let's say her name is Sarah, and you know Sarah. And instead of writing a mass email to your list, write an email to Sarah. Put Sarah in the front of your brain and craft an email to Sarah and only to Sarah. That will totally turn around the way that your audience reads it because they're going to feel like you're writing straight to them. Uh, another tip here, and this is something that we're working through um, ourselves for, for my own marketing here. My book has done really well. I'm excited to, to say that um, in over 10 categories, I landed number one internationally uh, on Amazon's list. So, um, wow. And I landed number one in a couple of categories in England, as a matter of fact. Um, so I landed number one. Um, and for 30 days now, in some of the categories, I have stayed in the top 10, which is amazing. Um, and we're getting ready to send out an email actually next week um, ab about the book. But here's the thing. My audience, that, which are meeting planners, association executives, speakers bureaus, here's the thing, Nate. They don't care that my book was number one at all. That's not top of mind to them. Here's what they do care about. Their job is to bring a relevant, fantastic speaker to the stage. So when I speak to it from what's important to them, here's a speaker that has a book that's landed number one in all of these categories, has relevant content, and is, is you know, crushing Amazon right now. It lets them, hey, this is one I can put before my client and say, look, this guy is blowing it up right now. Check out, check out Jeff. Check out his video. Check out the stuff that Jeff is doing. Like, what have I done? I have spoken to what's important to them, not, not me. And as a result, now they have some content they can share with their, their client that's actually paying for me to go in and speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about an email that you're sending to someone in business. Like if you want to negotiate, say you want to negotiate a deal, a pay rise or, a, you know, whatever, right? How do you structure that email so that it gets the desired result? So it depends on how, like, how far you are in this relationship. Like, do you, uh, do you know all the needs? Do you know what's going on? Do you know what's happening? Um, one of the things that we have been testing that has really worked well for us um, is to change the call to action. So oftentimes we'll say things like, hey, could we meet next week? Or could we have a conversation? Could we have a cup of coffee? Um, and I've changed this, and we're having better results with a little bit of reserve, reverse psychology in this. So instead of saying, can we meet next week, we say something like this. You probably have all the speakers that you need for 2019 and 2020. But if something changes, would you reach out to us? Here's what happens in their head. They're like, oh, my gosh, no, I don't have all the speakers that, that I need. Could we have a conversation next week? Like, what's your schedule next week? And it turned around the responses that we got from right. people. Um, so, like, flipping, it, flipping around on them. Right. So it takes away the pushiness, and it makes it a lot softer, doesn't it? it, it it's a lot softer. I, 
I'm not about pushy. There is no, no reason to be pushy. No. If we're a good match and the universe is a, a aligning this for this moment, there's no need to be pushy. What we need to do is I need to understand what you want solved, and I need to see if I'm a fit for that. Can I fix it? Can I solve that problem for your audience or for your business, whatever it is that you have? If so, then let's, let's do this together. Why put, There's nothing pushy um, about no. that whatsoever. But, it oh, doesn't work. Long term. Agreed. Agreed. But also it's working out how they like to communicate because they might be so busy that actually they don't want they don't want like massive long email. They don't want a phone call. They don't want a video call. All they want is like five lines or three paragraphs that explains exactly why you're doing what you're doing, why you think they should do what they need to do. Yeah. And and then. And then that's it, right? And, and then you just wait for their response, right? You, you can't keep pushing when the door is, is shut because they're in the middle of something else, right? Yep. Brevity is key. Um, the, the whole thing, people don't read anymore. We need to understand that. People scan. We okay. no longer read. So being able to in the, like, put a couple of sentences, three bullet points, your call to action, your signature, you're done. You're through. Okay. okay. And then I suppose it's just a question of asking questions, isn't it? It's just like ask questions, you know, it's all about the question. Yes. And your audience will tell you everything you need to know. If you'll just ask the questions, create a space for them to talk and share what's going on. Sometimes we guess, we're guessing what their needs are. We're guessing what they're thinking. They'll tell you, ask. Yeah. I spent a bit of time uh, with, with Britain's leading hypnotist and he's big into influence yeah and not not actually well, i suppose you could call it persuasion but it's 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 not really persuasion it's it's really just finding out sort of what what they actually want you know and that's been quite that's been quite useful to sort of understand a bit more about people but he's he uses a, a process which i think dan kennedy uses actually and it's a it's a process of what's your perfect day? So you wake up in the morning and it's like you go through what your perfect day looks like. Yeah. And then at the end of your perfect day, you go through it for your ideal client. So if you're in a client associated business, because some people just have customers, they don't really have clients, you know. Right. So yep. I suppose this is more relevant for kind of, I suppose you can do it with anyone in your life, can't you? It doesn't have to be a client or a customer. It could be just anyone in your, in, in your business that you're working with, because you might not be in sales. You might just want to persuade, you know, your boss to give you a pay rise or, you know, the accounts team to pay you on time or, you know, it could be anything, right? Yes. But, yes. but like going through what their perfect day looks like in on a piece of paper and saying, right, what matters to them? Okay, they want to get home for five o'clock. Okay, what do they do when they get up in the morning? And then that's going to bring you a lot closer to communicating much better with those individuals. Would you, would you think that's a fair, fair thing to say? 100% agree. It, it is about our audience. It is always about our audience. You know, when I go step on stage, like when I'm walking out there, I am not thinking about how bright the spotlights are on me. I am not thinking about the check that they've paid me to go step out on the stage. When I step out there, I'm looking at each individual person and I am making this connection with them, this emotional bond, sharing a story, telling them about the life, the struggles, being honest, being open, transparent with them in hopes that after this 45 minutes with me, 
if they can just take one little bit of truth, then the trajectory over time will totally change their life, will totally change um, their business. And my focus is on how do I communicate with them? How do I help them understand that? That's persuasion. That's leadership. That's seeing a better outcome for them. And as a result, then all that I need is taken care of as well. Right. Because they may not be at the point of their perfect day yet. They yeah. might they, they, they might be trying to get to that day where they wake up at the right time and then they enjoy their workout and they're not stressed about what they've got to do. And, you know, the baby's not crying and blah, 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 you know. So how long did it take you to get your daughter back to the States? It was it seemed forever. I'll say that while it was going on. Um, but when it was over and in reflection, um, it was an extremely short period of time in six and a half months. I completed an international adoption with a country falling apart. Wow. And, 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 and she's perfectly happy. And, you know, early on, like I had so many questions, like, you know, do I have a savior mentality? Like, why am I doing, like doing this? How is her life going to be coming over and living with a white family? Like yes. what are the implications of all of this for her? And she was about three, four years old somewhere in that space one day. And she was on the floor and she had a bunch of different types of toys and she was assembling them into groups. And I looked down at her and I asked her, you know, what was she doing? And she said, Dad, I'm creating families. She said, they don't match, but they're still family. Just like I don't match, but I'm still family. And it was that moment that I knew she got it. And that I knew that she knew that it didn't matter what color her skin was, that we're family. It didn't matter that her dad was white in the situation. None of that mattered. She's family. That's emotional, man. Yeah. It tore me up yeah. hearing that. And at that point, I knew most likely she's going to be okay. She gets this. She understands what love is and what these bonds are all about, that emotional connection. I have tremendous respect for you doing that. Oh, thank you. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I really do. Well, she's, you know, she's, she's wonderful, um, an amazing human being. Um, she has a lot of just innate Haitian culture about her, just how happy she is, about how joyful she is. And even as, as struggles come, how she allows them to roll off and continue on with what she was um, called to do. And um, you know, Nate, I remember wrapping up this adoption and coming um, to, back to Miami, flying back to, to Miami. And I'm standing there in the airport with her and kind of patting myself on the back, you know, feeling, hey, I've done it. My adoption is over. This is all completed. I finished. And that, all of that self-praise just kind of went out the window. And I began to wonder about her and what her life will be like. You know, would she be a doctor and heal the sick? Would she be a humanitarian and go relieve suffering? Would she be a teacher and impact hundreds of lives that then could impact thousands of other people. And while I couldn't answer any of those questions, what I did know was this, that this adoption was kind of like a rock, a pebble. You've probably gone to a small body of water and taken a rock or pebble and toss it into the water. And we know that little thump, right? As that pebble, that rock goes down in that. But what happens next? If you look beyond just where the, it entered and look up, you'll start to see ripple effects out there. And here's the thing, Nate. While I couldn't answer any of those questions, I knew that the adoption wasn't over. 
It was just this pebble going in the water, and now there's going to be ripple effect, and lots and lots of lives are going to be touched because I took that step to adopt her. It's the same thing in all of our careers. Like sometimes we're in business, like our heads are down, we're like doing, uh, we're doing emails, we're having phone calls, we're doing all the all the things that it takes to run a business. And sometimes we think they're the only things. But when we look at the bigger picture of our life, we can see that this, yeah, there's transactional for today and that's wonderful, that's good. But we can impact lives that are going to impact so many other people. That motivates me. That inspires me. That gets me out of bed every morning to keep doing what it is I love to do. And me. That motivates me. Uh, it's, it's, It's so important because you're giving back. Every single person that you are speaking to, you might only say five words to them, but you could, you, those five words, if that were positive, yeah, that could change their whole trajectory because you don't know what's going on in the, in the brain, yeah? You, you have that's no right. idea. Just a smile might even help someone that's going through some sort of, you know, grief in their life or whatever. But it's like, it is amazing. That ripple effect is it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant, Jeff, what you've been doing. Absolutely brilliant. So how do people get hold of you if they want to find you? My website's the best way. It's Jeff Tippett, J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T.com. Uh, and, they, and I have Google ads on all kinds of misspellings of my name. So if they get anywhere close, um, my website will likely pop up for them. They can sign up for my newsletter. I send out weekly communications emails. They can find all my social media as well. I love to connect with people online and hear about their journey and hear about their story and have conversations uh, with them. So from my website is the hub. You can find everything about me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks for listening to Master Mindset. Please don't forget to follow wherever you listen and tell your friends and tell your friends. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.